Mr. Derek Veenhoff. He's better known as Deke. Drinking liquor with DJ Deke, we out laughing. Yo, Deke. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're here with uh, Dice Raw from the Legendary Roots crew cooking yes. dinner. COVID yes, style. yes, I am. <laughs> welcome, welcome. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. No problem. Uh, it's, it's an honor to have you here and a uh, big fan, of course. Uh, who isn't a fan of the Roots or the Dice Raw <laughs> versus or hooks? Um, <laughs> Can you, uh, why don't you uh, give us a little bit of your background? Like, where, who, where does Dice Rock come from? We know North Philly, to be exact. Yeah, to even be more exact, I'm from a neighborhood called Logan. And Logan is like um, just north of North Philly. <laughs> so, North North. Yeah, I'm from, a, I'm from a block that they call 11th Street. It was very notorious for like drug trafficking in the mm. 80s and uh, shoplifting, like a lot of, shoplifters the people a lot of the drug dealers of the 80s would come to logan and basically do shopping you know what I mean? <laughs> you tuck the pants into the socks and what yeah you know these guys were stealing like racks of diamonds this was that was like the big thing when i was a kid a rack of diamonds you know what i mean if you could steal a rack of diamonds then you were the man and somebody would buy it on the corner um you know pelly pelly jackets were big they used to cost you know, I don't know, maybe like 500 bucks, $1,000 back in the 80s. And, you know, the boosters would, would steal the jackets and sell them half price. And, um, you know, people mm. would wear them. And uh, so that was but basically they would snatch a lot of chains, earrings, glass. I mean, it's just, you know, a crazy, a crazy place that was definitely affected by the economic disparity of the 80s. You know what I'm saying? Reaganomics, you right. know, really uh, uh, fueled criminal creativity. <laughs> True. Say. Now, at this point, what uh, has that area seen better days since then? Uh, the 80s was the 80s. No, it, no, it's still a little rough. It's not being gentrified. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, you know, all of Philadelphia is looking like there's there's a big plan for Philadelphia. And the neighborhood was actually built on swampland. A lot of people don't know that. Um, but, but part of North Philly was built on swampland and some of the houses were sinking. So they were deemed uh, unlivable. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so how did you get into music originally? Is there music in your family? You know, like, yeah, you... you know, my dad is a drummer. He was in a band. He had a record deal back when he was like, you know, 15 years old. Um, but he didn't like the people that he was working with. Uh, so he opted out of his deal. They bought him out of his contract. And, you know, he was just, you know, a regular guy after that. <laughs> what kind of band but, uh, was it? Like a fully soul band or what? Huh? What kind of band was it? Like a funk, you know, like a funk, funk you know, soul, you know, whatever they were playing back in those days. Probably more like James Brown s type of thing, you know, maybe some doo-wop. I'm I'm not really sure. Right. Yeah. Um, and then how did you end up with the roots? Uh, mutual friends or something like that, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I won a talent show and I was working with a producer named Kilo, and Kilo introduced me to the roots. And what was that like at that time? What what year would have been would that would that have been like what were the roots? Well, that was 1993 when I when I met the Roots and um they had just got a record deal. Uh, I had already been working in the music industry though as a kid. I had I lived in L.A. when I was 14 and I was a ghostwriter for a group called Playtime that was signed to Bell Biv DeVoe. They had a deal on Mercury Records. So before I met the Roots, I was already like kind of like in the music industry like somewhat. Hmm. 
But and I was already a fan of the group stuff. I was a huge fan because they had an independent album. Mm. Um, and my favorite song on there was Leonard's Parts 1 to 5. Um, and Tariq was just going in on that joint. I was like, man, the Roots is fucking all that. And then I got a chance to meet them. Um, and I, I was just like, what the? I was like, oh, wow. And then right when I met them, is like was like they, the Roots got a million dollar record deal in like the 90s. So that was like crazy. It was like unheard of. And um, so they were kind of like street famous in Philadelphia. And uh, so I already, when I got a chance to meet the Roots, I already kind of knew a little bit about them. You know what I mean? So Right. A million, so I always wonder, like, a, the bigger the band, the bigger record deal you need, don't you? Because, like, there's so many guys you got to pay, right? Yeah, it wasn't a lot of money earlier on. Mm. You know, but a um, million dollars didn't really go as far as you may think it goes, especially when recording an album. Right. You know, studio costs $1,000 a day. And this was back in the day where they was charging us basically... $200 for a CD to be burned. So at the end of the session, if you wanted a CD burn, they would charge you $200 for it. <laughs> so it was a while. It, yeah, they were getting away with murder. Right. So how have you seen, what, what is your perspective on the industry compared to, ne- uh, from then to now, as far as independent artists and all that? Like a lot of people were getting screwed back then in deals and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, that still goes on, I guess, when people get signed, right? Unless they're doing yeah, it. I mean, people... Yeah, I'm sure some people are still out there getting, you know, gaffled or whatever. I'm going to try to put this down a little bit. I'm sure a lot of people out there are getting gaffled um, and getting robbed. But I think that there's a lot more money in the music industry as far as uh, the independent streaming and sales. I mean, you got to do some serious, serious streaming. But a lot of the power uh, has remained in the artist's hands. Uh, as of lately, and I think that that's something interesting, and I, th- I think that's really good. And um, you know, it takes a lot of power out of the record, the major record companies' hands, which is always positive because I mean, a lot of the majors they don't really know what they're doing anyway. They're just a bunch of you know people just pushing paper. Uh, they're not creative. They don't even understand how to write a song or even how to access the emotion that 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 goes into music. I mean, they they really have a um, not a, not a full understanding of it. At least most of the record executives that I've encountered in my time, that you know, they really didn't have too much real perspective on what the real the real deal of the music industry is. And, and I mean, they may say the same thing about me because I've always been an underground artist and I've done something that that I've always done stuff that I thought was more meaningful than what the typical music industry stigma was. You know what I mean? And, uh, and always kind of prided myself on that as well. Now you, uh, you also you you just released a stand-up comedy album called Cancelled. Uh, that's <laughs> on Spotify. So how, how did, did you get a chance to hear it? Did you check it I out? Did, I did listen to it. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, how thanks. You, how did you um? Did you start with comedy in your life, or did anybody push you towards that? How did you go, come about to that? Yeah, well, you know, I was in a group called Nouveau Riche, and when I used to perform with Nouveau Riche, I. I I realized that I used to do a lot of commentary during our concerts. And, you know, Nikki Jean and Kari would always be like, Dice, get back to doing the actual show, what we're here to do type of thing. Right. And um, one day I was having lunch with an old guy who works at, who used to work at the theater. You know, he recently passed away, which was crazy. Um, but we were having lunch and he told me, he said, listen, man, you missed your calling. He said, you should have been in comedy. And I was like, wait, I missed my calling? I should be in comedy, not <laughs> hip hop? And I mean, he was—he's seventy-five years old. So I was just thinking, like, what is—what does he know, right? But 
when I really dug into it, I had a lot of fun doing it. And the feedback has been tremendous. And um, a lot of people are just like, yo, how long have you been working on this? You're like a natural. And, you know, even people who are in comedy, like that I really respect, um, had hit me up and, you know, had, had expressed that they thought that was really good. And, you know, and that, you know, they were like, how, how long have you been working on your voice? And, you know, because a comedian voice, it takes years to develop. And I'm just like, well, you know, I've been basically a schizophrenic most of my life. So I got different voices in my head that work well. You know, they work well together. True. Now, how do you think about rap and comedy? Because isn't there a lot of crossover there as far as punchlines and metaphors? And, you know, it's all kind of it's writing, right? It's present. It's presenting. There's, is, there's a lot of um, similarities, no? Yeah, I would say there's a lot of similarities. And I think hip hop has definitely um, helped, helped me, um, and plus just performing. And, and I think a lot of a lot of times in rap, we say things that are funny, especially when you're writing a rhyme and you're writing a rap song, you're by yourself. You, you typically start to think about the actual song. And, and you know, most rappers are funny. Like, like Green Jay, is, uh, Jean Grey is really funny. You know, Black Thought is hilarious. You know, I thought Dress from Black Sheep was funny. You know, Eminem is funny. Red Man's funny. So, I mean, I think that there's a natural progression in, in, in that, in, in hip-hop and comedy. And um, and I definitely was, you know, I'm glad that the, uh, the comedy album was well-received. Well you know what I'm saying? So, it's definitely cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely cool. Cool shit. So uh, how has um, you, you done a lot more singing and hooks on the later, uh, the more recent Roots albums? Um, have you always switched between singing and rapping or, you know, like what? How do you describe that? Um, you know, I think that I've always been musical and I've always used to sing like little melodies and things like that. But, you know, before people just weren't that interested in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And as I think this rap kind of like progressed and. You know, we got more into the, the more uh, experimental phases of rapping, you know, in, in, you know, even inspiring people like Kid Cudi or whoever would come up to me and say, yeah, I was inspired by hearing you sing and rap. And then those things take on a life that is even bigger than we even are, that you ever could imagine. And you think about somebody like Drake and how he raps and he sings, you know, I think it was really that's the kind of natural progression. I mean, even think about Method Man. He kind of rapped and sang a little bit. You know, Nelly was kind of like a rap singer kind of thing. Uh -huh, yes. So, I mean, it's been around for a while. Even the Jungle Brothers, you know, they used to have a lot of melodies and, and the stuff that they did, too, you know? Yeah, I would say there's probably a lot of rappers that didn't use melodies in it to their detriment. Like, they might not right. have a longevity or a lot of great albums or a lot of great singles because they don't utilize melodies in the pr proper way. I agree. Um. I have a, a lot of questions for you, man. How, when, uh, what was the biggest song for you or for the band uh, when, you, whenever you were part of the band? Like, uh, I, I know here I come from. They used that in the Super Bad uh, movie, and that was like a big scene, uh, and that was a huge movie, right? Like, what was that song like when it came out? Was it uh, a big deal? Yeah, I mean, you know, when the song came out, you know, the Roots are never really uh, trying to push for anything super commercial. Yeah. Um, if, but if something happens on its own and people just dig it, then that's cool. Um, so, I mean, when Here I Come, um, it definitely was a successful song as far as licensing. You know, like you mentioned, it was in Super Bad, but it also was in uh, Will Smith's movie. Um, uh, not I Am Legend, but the superhero one when he was the drunk superhero. Hancock. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, 
But the Roots get a lot of songs that are in movies that people don't even realize in commercials and all kinds of different things that the Roots are involved in that you you would never have any idea um, that it was even their song. But um, so they get a lot of licensing and sync stuff, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, Here I Come was really cool. The Fire, I, I would say The Fire is probably one of the, the more successful songs that I was involved in as well as the song with the roots and John legend, but you know, I was yeah. involved in some of the writing aspects. So. Yeah. That was a banger. Yeah. The fire is a good one. You know what I mean? So. Um, <laughs> so what, what is a root session like? Like uh, uh, you're a writer and producer and rapper, but uh, w- like there's so many people in the band, a lot of people mostly see quest love or, or thought. And my, I always picture Questlove just doing everything because he's kind of more of the face of things. But, you know, how many hands are involved uh, in the different processes? And do you personally ever take on part of the mixing or that kind of thing? You know, or, or is that cer- certain things left to other, uh, you know, hirees or professionals and you guys just write? You know, how does it work? I mean, you know, I really can't elaborate on that because it's such a, a, a special recipe. Yeah. <laughs> and. You know, I don't want, you know, we got a lot of competition out there. I don't want, you know, everybody trying to cook chicken like the roots do. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, but it's, you know, Questlove is definitely a, a phenomenal, phenomenal producer. And, you know, Black Thought goes without saying, he's a phenomenal songwriter. And, you know, but, you know, there's always been, you know, um, like group sessions where, you know, we would just come in and have fun and, you know, not even really be focused on writing really to a, to a, to a certain degree, but <laughs> really just kind of just in there just vibing out. So there's there's a, there's a lot of vibe, you know, that goes into that, and um, uh, so a lot yeah, of the songs might come from just a jam session or something, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, we used to do a lot of jam sessions, and you know, Quest would be on the drums, and somebody may be in a room humming a melody, and then they come up with a song like that, and right. you know, for the most part, um, yeah, I mean, the most part, you know, Richard Nichols was a, was a was a huge part of the creative uh, process for the Roots. Um, so, you know, there was, there was a few different people who were involved, you know. Um, what was it like working with, uh, Schoolie D, uh, on that remix of 100? I know there's so many Philly rappers, uh, out there. Like how, how did you connect with Schoolie D and, um, get him on a track? I think at the time you did that track, he was doing his own album as well, right? Yeah. And Schoolie was also, he wrote the theme song for, um, Aqua Teens. Aqua Teen Hunger Force? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Suli was always in the studio doing stuff for Cartoon Network or whatever. Um, but that night was really funny. And I hope Suli doesn't get mad, but I tell the story a lot. And um, the thing that was the funniest thing, he came in the studio. Now, this is an old school rapper. And I guess I'm an old school rapper, too. I shouldn't talk so much shit <laughs> about old rappers because that's me. I'm sitting here wearing a turtleneck. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, that's an old rapper. That's old rapper clothing. But Schooley came in the studio. He had about 30 people with him, right? He had his lawyer with him. He had women with him. He had friends with him. He had all these people, right? So when he's time for him to record, he tells his entourage, wait outside. He says, wait out here. I'm going to go in the studio with Dice. That whole entourage is out there. Kevin Glickman, Schooley D. Shout out Kev Glickman. This is a good friend of mine. Um, <laughs> so Schooley goes in the room. He kicks me out, too. He says, Dice, I... I don't need you in here. I need to do my own thing with the engineer. So um, he's in there for about an hour. I'm in the lobby talking to Kev Glickman. Kevin's asking me where's the weed is. Every five minutes, he asks me about weed. Um, yeah, Schooley 
is in the booth. My engineer comes out at the time. His name was Fabian. And Fabian comes out. He says, hey, man, Schoolie's in there bugging. And I said, what do you mean? He said he's not comfortable. He said, you know, he wants to go to his own studio. Um, you know, he wants to use his own mic. He said, I'm, oh, I'm not drinking that. Is that, is that the Mondavi? Oh, yeah, I'm drinking that. Okay, sorry. So Schoolie, he's like, um, he's like, uh, I go in a room. He's like, yeah, Dice, I, you know, I, I want to go to my own studio. He's like, listen, you can trust me. I'll bring this. He's like, first he said, you can trust me. I'll knock this out tonight, but I got to do it in my own studio. And I was like, well, I was like, Schooly, I, I prepared for you to come. I'm very excited for you to be here. You're one of my childhood heroes. You know, this is, this is an experience for me that you don't even understand how excited I am. And he looked at me. He was like, damn, like, why the fuck did you say that? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> and he was like, all right. He's like, he's like, yo, let your engineer come with me and I'll, I'll, I'll promise I'll send him back safely. And I was like, Schooly, I said, he's a grown man. I can't tell him to leave with you and go to some studio. I was like, he's his old man. Like, what are you talking about? I said, Schooly, just knock this out. I said, we got freeways on it. I said, Bubonic already did his part. We got EST. He said, EST is on it. I said, EST is on it. He says, okay, well, I'm doing it. So he picks up a paper. He goes in the booth. He's reading the paper all, while he's rapping. Time needs to go in the microwave for a little bit. He's reading the paper uh, and he spit it. One take, right? And the shit, you heard it, right? Yeah. That was one take. You know what I'm saying? I came with Kane in my pocket. Your Kane is in my pocket. Some don't dig it. Others try to knock it. I came from Westfield with a young brother's kill. But you got to understand how them young niggas feel. Yeah, I mean, it's... So he comes out of the booth with the paper. He puts the paper down, one take. We're like, oh, he killed it, right? He leaves. 45 minutes after he leaves, the engineer comes out to where I'm at. I'm outside playing like, I don't know, Madden or some shit in the, other, in, in the lobby. And that's how you know it was a long time ago because I don't play video games. So, <laughs> And there was, a, there was a person at the studio I used to call a retard. He used to always leave his video game system hooked up. And, that, and, the, and I, actually, that's... I shouldn't even call him that because that's a diss to people who are mentally ill because, you know, um, well, he was just slow, dumb. right? Yeah. Huh? He was just slow. Maybe he was, no, he was fast. He was so fast. Oh. He was, he was brilliant, but he was, he was that dumb. He, that, <laughs> I, I, it just, it just baffled me. It was like an oxymoron, somebody so intelligent, but so dumb. You know what I mean? But anyway, um, my engineer comes out, he says, dice, you won't believe this. I said, what? He says, look at the paper the school he was rapping off of. I said, what? What's wrong with it? He said, look at it. I picked it up. It was blank. Oh, my God. It was what? blank. But he was in the booth reading it like this. He was like, he was like this. Some don't dig it. So you see somebody reading some other paper like that. <laughs> and then when they put it down, it's blank. Oh, my God. Maybe it was Great. like invis some sort of special ink, so you couldn't steal the rhymes. After Maybe he, May only that he could read sense. it. Yeah, that, that would make sense. <laughs> so that whole track is full of uh, you got six, like six people on it. What? Uh, what is it like in Philly with so many great MCs? You got Eve, Meek Mill. I know, I know Philly's a big place and it's one of the oldest cities in America, so it's a populated place. There's a lot of rappers, Jedi Mind Tricks. Uh, Vinny oh, Pratt. yeah, so Legend. you brush shoulders with all these guys, like, uh, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, in Philadelphia, everybody knows me, you know. Um, I've worked, I've, I haven't worked with everybody, but you know, 
I've, you know, I've, I've hung out with every rapper in Philadelphia from Beanie Siegel to Petey Crack to Freeway to Kristen Neef to Meek Mills to uh, Cassidy, uh, J- DJ Jazzy Jeff to the Fresh Prince. You know what I'm saying? Like, sure, yeah. you know, um, everybody, everybody knows me. You know what I'm saying? Right, like, right. I'm cool. I'm cool with all the rappers, basically. I mean, there's some rappers I probably haven't hung out with, like, um, like maybe like an AR app. I, I never really had a chance to build with him, but I love this music. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I wish him, a, a, I wish him to come home very safely from prison. Um, you know, even Oskino. You know what I'm saying? I've hung out and had dinner with Oskino and broke bread. You know what I'm saying? At you know at a restaurant. You know, just just chopping it up. Just you know, on some not even on some music stuff, but just yeah, what's up? You know what I mean? Like my childhood friend was Mike Knox. You know, me and Mike Knox, who's who's part of G Unit. I mean, we go we go back to when we were playing with toys. You know what I mean? Like, like trading, yeah, like trading in Nintendo cartridges and stuff like that. You know, Black Foot and uh, Beanie Siegel. I mean, we used to walk to school together. You know what I'm saying? They're from the same neighborhood. That is crazy. Like even when you look at New York rap, like I, I think it's true that uh, Busta, I think it was Hove and uh, Biggie went to the same high school, for example. Yeah, that's crazy. But it makes sense in a way, right? Because like from the same city, you know, the same age, same era and all that, this in this into the same stuff. Uh, they, they're rapping. They're, they're going to end up together. Right. It, it kind of happens like that. But uh, right. So uh, the money making jam boys, is that just like a loose collective or is that just you know what I mean? Like you guys always shout it out. But does that just refer to like the 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 the, the group, the you know, of rappers that you see uh, like like um all the guys on the Roots albums that come on and do their little verses. No, no, not everybody. Not everybody was on the Roots albums in the Money Making Jam Boys. Ah, uh, so, so it's exclusive club. Yeah, the Jam Boys is a very, very, very exclusive club, and you know, there's a lot of good rappers who've been on the Roots albums, but they can never be Jam Boys. You know what I'm saying? Ah, okay, I get and, it. Now. You know, but you see somebody like a PD Crack, he's a Jam Boy. You know uh, okay, PD PD. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. PD is a Jam Boy. And then you got people like um, like Sugar Tongue Slim. He's a jam boy. Um, you know, Porn MC is a jam boy. Truck North is a jam boy. And of course, Black Thought is a jam boy. But that's kind of where the buck stops. You know what I'm saying? True. I think yeah. I lost your video there for a sec. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Here you go. Yeah, that's kind of where the buck stops, though. You know what I'm saying? For the jam boys. So uh, you, I know we don't want to put you on the spot and uh, make you reveal anything you shouldn't, but is there any Roots project? I, I know there's always rumors and there hasn't been an album for, a, what is it, a few years now. Uh, are you working on any? I know in your raps you say when people ask, are you working on something, you say you don't really know, but you always say yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, 1995. You working on something? Yeah, I always say no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, you know what? Um, I, I believe it. I believe they are working. I know Tariq's writing. I know Quest is producing a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, I'm working on some stuff. And uh, you know, I think we're just going to get together and kind of compare notes and say, hey, you know, what you got, what you got, what you got. But, but I think that there's um, some real excitement for Roots album, and especially what's, what's going on. I'm sorry, I'm sitting here on the chopping board chopping. Yeah, but, we'll edit out the chops. It's all good. We'll just yeah. we'll just EQ that bottom out a little bit. <laughs> Put a little 808 on it. Yeah, it? we'll roll it up. Um, so what about uh, your personal music tastes? Like, uh, what kind of stuff did you listen to growing up? And then compared to nowadays, how has your musical taste uh, changed at all? 
you know, my musical taste really hasn't changed um, since I've been a kid. I've always had an eclectic uh, choices in music. Um, my dad was in, was in a band, basically. Um, so I had a tons of music at my aspect, at my, at my hand, at my arm's reach. My mom was huge into music. She had an extensive record collection. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of musical influences that I grew up on, like listening, not just to hip hop, but listening to like Jimi Hendrix, a lot of, um, 60s, 70s music, a lot of, um, oh no, uh, like, Oh, it's so crazy! You can't really position anywhere. A lot of '80s, a lot of '80s music, a lot of '70s funk. Um, you know, I, I had a really eclectic experience in the, in the home with music, and uh, my parents loved a lot of different, a lot of different aspects of music, and I still do that today. Like, you know, the stuff I listen to is not necessarily all hip hop, but yeah. it's not, you know, necessarily half hip hop, half country music. It's what about good. what about do you listen to do you have a preference for older or newer artists like uh do you check out a lot of new stuff or do you just stick with what you know kind of thing yeah i listen to everything so i listen yeah. to all the new stuff like i listen i like nba young boy you know i like rollo i like uh uh i like some of the early gucci stuff when he came home i love all the earlier gucci stuff you know when he was really <laughs> crazy um <laughs> yeah. you know but um but who didn't you know what i mean yeah um you know, I was a big uh, Canadian artist. Any Toronto? I know Toronto's really a, a hub now. Ever since Drake kind of blew up and everything, any yeah, Toronto? Well, I think you gotta you gotta like Drake, or you can't you you, you know your Earth pass gets revoked. I think they they send you to another planet. <laughs> yeah. that you don't like Drake <laughs> yeah. publicly. You gotta go. Yeah, you can't live on Earth anymore. You you gotta go. You know what I'm saying? But um, yeah. I mean, I, but I like Drake. You know, I think he's a really brilliant, complex artist. You know what I mean? And um. And he actually reminds me of some of the stuff that I do. You know what I mean? It's, it's just like the risk that he takes. He's very risky. You know what I'm saying? Um, with 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 doing different stuff and reaching for, you know, the, the genre mixing and the, mm -hmm. the Jamaican dance hall stuff that he does and the the, the, the love balance. I mean, the shit is brilliant. You know what I mean? So Yeah, a lot of Toronto stuff, if you dig into some of the newer guys, too, is a, it's very eclectic culturally because there's such a mix of um, immigrants in, in Toronto and uh, in that. Right, so many right. different influences, yeah. I'm definitely hip to that. So, um, any, uh, any, any political? I know we're 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 doing this interview in uh, a tumultuous political time. Any any statements or things you want to speak on? And we it, we we don't want to talk too much on the news that just happened because we don't know all the details. But we've seen some of the videos of the Capitol Hill uh, building infiltration and all these Trumpists, these crazy guys doing. Yeah, you know, I mean, my whole vibe is if they were black, I mean, they would have been. They would just would have got shot dead as soon as this thing would have started. And the fact that these guys can take a, a, a racist agenda and have that kind of power and effect and, and reach is, is just baffling. And, you know, to me, I think America, I think America should be over. You know, I think we should get rid of America and we should start again. Cause it, hey, why don't you join us? Why don't we make one country? You could, you could just be Canada. Hey, I, I like that. That's not a bad idea. You know what I'm saying? That's not, it's not a bad idea, but, um, you know, my, my whole vibe is, you know, if they were black, those guys, they wouldn't have made it as far as they did. And it's really despicable of uh, America's love infatuation with white privilege. And uh, and I'm going, I'm going to D.C. soon, too. And I'm going with my own crew. 
and we're gonna do our own thing. You know what I'm saying? So true. Um, yeah, it's it's baffling on many levels, of course. And uh, Trump even, you know, making statement uh, videos saying, uh, you know, be peaceful, but yet uh, let me just restate the whole reason, the whole lie, why you guys are going there. It, it doesn't make sense, right? Uh, they keep going with the selection fraud stuff, and yeah, uh, I, I mean, it's got to be planned. You know what I mean? The people, the powers that be, I mean, they know what they're doing. They're not idiots. I'm sorry, I'm just. Wrestling with arugula and cilantro in here, all in your ear. It's all good. It's, it makes for a unique uh, episode. Oh, okay, good, good. You know, at, at my house, I do all the cooking. You know what I'm saying? So. <laughs> well, all I can say is um, it's unfortunate somebody lost their life there, and I'm not American, so I, I'll just kind of stay here, hunkered down for now. But uh, probably um, smart. It is unfortunate, and um, we hope for all the best and a peaceful transition and all that. Now that you know the Democrats got the Senate now, so we'll see what Joe Biden has in store for the next couple of years, at least. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll you see. know, to me, I, I'd argue that Biden is well. Never mind. I can't say stuff like that. It's like I look at right now. I'm a board chair of a nonprofit, so I really can't even express my true thoughts sometimes. Like if I say something that's from like my old rapper world, then true. it gets frowned upon. So I have to be careful about what I say. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um. So what else? Uh, let's see. We, we, what else we got here? I wanted to ask you a couple more quick things. Um, lyrics wise. So we talked about that 95 song, 1995 earlier. What was so special about 1995 for you? How old are you in 95? Uh, in 95, I'm not sure. I have to do some math, but I'm, why was I, it know, so good? Why was it such a good right year now. for hip hop? It was or a for great your... year. It was a great year, but it was the year like, you know, the roots were started working on Illidelf Half-Life. Um, you know, so it was it was a lot going on. So it was it was a great time. Actually, I think Elf Half Life might have came out in '95, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I was only seven back then, so it it was good. It was chill <laughs> for me too. But yeah, it was a great time. Great time to be alive. Now, in your lyrics, uh, you know, I, I got to say, even from on a personal standpoint, as a fan, specifically your lyrics and the Roots music altogether, uh, did kind of like to me it presents this, hey. There's a tough world out there, and this is the shit we go through. But you got to find a way to make it through, and kind of, you know, be positive and all that. All that. Do you do you try to put that through in your music? Because that's kind of what I took from it. I know other people take that from it as well. Like you're going through tough things, or you make a lot of mistakes in life, or you, or you do the wrong thing. You know, uh, there was a time where I. I spent a weekend in jail, you know, I had a char aggravated assault charge, all this stuff. My life wasn't going in the right exact direction, you know, drug use and all that. And then like literally is a time of it was at the time of listening to uh like the undone record, for example, coming out of all that. And there's so much like positive uh uh music and, and lyrics in, on that album, for example. Um so is that a conscious thing? Obviously it must be yeah I mean it definitely is conscious and we definitely were aware of what we were doing, but we were just kind of just speaking about how we felt uh, in those certain junctions of time. You know what I mean? Like whatever the roots album were, it was really like conversations we would have with each other and then just start kind of creating while we were having those conversations. And a lot of times it was really based off of the roots of being on tour because, you know, we would be in the studio a lot and they would be on tour. We wouldn't see them for a long time. So when they would finally come home, we would have these deep ass conversations in the studio and those conversations would just kind of spark how we were feeling. And a lot of those things were, were really just trying to be real. 
and, and not give people like this narrative that was so false and fake that other rappers just do. And, 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 it's, and, and what, you know, the roots, I think they were mainly focused on not doing what other people do. Like the song, Don't Do What They Do. I mean, I think that's kind of like where the rubber hits the road. And, um, and uh, I, mean, I mean, that's how they live. You know what I mean? So a lot of those songs really came out of conversations that we were having, and they were definitely specific. Like, okay, we know that the economy is like this. We know that people are probably going through this. Yeah. When we were young, we we did this. What are we going through now? You know, and even just and even just real thoughts. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, as adults and, and 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 growing up and growing up being signed to a contract most of your life and having to perform a certain particular thing and. Right. And, and having all white fans and being this pro-black group and the irony of that, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, I mean, it was, it was deep, man. That is interesting. Yeah. And I never even really thought about that, about your fan base. It's gotta be a lot of white dudes. Yeah. I mean, a majority of white people. I mean, if we had to depend on black people to, to live, I mean, the roots would have never made it. You know what I'm saying? But black people like the roots now because they're successful. But earlier on, People thought that thought we were doing. They didn't get it. You know, they 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 really didn't. They didn't understand what was going on. I mean, not. I mean, the majority of the Roots fans are by are multicultural. But yeah. I mean, the average hip hop fan or average hip hop listener in the time that we were doing, we were doing something that was so different that it really only spoke to audiences that were you know bohemian throwback to what the jazz stuff was or a throwback to what Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul was doing. Is is the audience that really kind of understood what we were doing. But then, you know, I look back at it and I think it's really interesting because of, um, you look back and I think it's really interesting because most rap fans, when they talk about lyrics and everything, most rappers only talk about, you know, getting girls, spending money and, and doing stuff like that. And yeah, for the most part, the Roots talked about so many different aspects of life and that weren't really based inside a rap narrative. They were, they were kind of based in real life narratives, like talking about depression, talking about the economy, talking about drugs, but not from a drug kingpin perspective, but from a person who got locked up selling a $150 bag of weed to an undercover cop one when he was just trying to get pamper money. And, and to actually focus on the real stories and real people that are affected by, you know, the world. You know what I mean? And it, I think the roots are really the one thing I respect about the, well, not the one thing, but one of the many, many things that I respect about the roots is their perspective of how they look at the world. And it's not something that they just do practice on record. It's not something that's a, that's a recording theory, but it's something that's practiced in life. And, you know, they're unique even to that, you know? Um, so. Yeah. Uh, you made, you made some comments on, uh, thoughts, uh, that 10 minute freestyle or whatever it was, they keep sharing it. I think it was it uh, a year ago that that came out or three years, whatever it was, people are sharing it now again. And then you made a comment on it. Cause someone said it was, uh, it was written. You said, I don't think it matters. Yeah. I don't think it matters. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, what's the point? Like, are we really impressed anymore these days that someone can rap off the top of their head? Like the, a lot of rappers do that anyway in the booth. No, like. I mean, I don't, I don't really believe that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm uh -huh. a great, I'm a great freestyler. Like, I'm a master freestyler, mm. and I write everything. Like, I used to didn't write before. I didn't know people actually wrote songs down. But for the most part, it's like, why, why do a freestyle that's really off the top of your head 
that it could go either way. You could have a good day or a bad day. It's like some right. I, I look back at some of the freestyles I did, and I'm like, what the hell was I talking about? Like I'm yeah. all high, not making any sense. Like the first eight bars might be killer, the last seven seventy-two bars might be whack, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so yeah, right. you know, why why risk it? You know what I'm saying? And most rappers are reading off of their phones now, you know what I'm saying? Why why they're doing the little freestyles and and stuff like that, which is really interesting. But I mean, the shit was ten minutes long. Um, I'm sure some of it was freestyle. So true, here and there, whatever. But at the end of the day, I don't care. The shit was killer. It's the best. It's the best freestyle of all time. And right. freestyle rhyme doesn't necessarily mean off of the top. KRS One taught us that a long time ago. Yeah, it's a free for. It's like a free form, essentially bar after right. bar right. over a beat. Right. Right. Um. You know, whatever they say, Jay Z didn't Jay say say that he never wrote a wrote a rap. That's that's, that's bullshit. You know what I, mean? <laughs> that I mean, hell, I mean, with the the complexity of some of, of the his stuff shit, that he yeah, put right. together. I guess I never really fully believed that either. You know, no, nah, that's that's bullshit. I mean, the complexity of the stuff that he puts together is. I mean, if he is freestyling it, then his brain must be a computer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, I, and I and I just don't I don't believe it. And I know Jay Z's a very very smart man. A smart businessman. He, he's what all of us rappers aspire to be in, in the hip hop business world. It's like, you know, Jay Z and Puff Daddy and, you know, uh, uh, Russell Simmons, you know, and, and uh, Rick Ross and, you know, Birdman and uh, Jay Prince, all those people, Master P, uh, Tony mm -hmm. Draper, all those hip hop businessmen. Mm -hmm. You know, Jay Z is like the tippy tippy your top, you know what I'm saying? But they all have our hearts. And they all have our respect and admiration. You know, the, the gentleman that I just named. Did uh, Jay ever do anything with the Roots? Is there any? Yeah. I mean, Jay stole a lot of Roots ideas. You know, I'm just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. um... Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah I got you. Yeah, listen, listen. Uh, D, thank you for everything. I do have to jump. My girlfriend's ready to have dinner. No After worries, I man. I, I wanted to close out and just say thanks again. And, uh. Anything that the people can expect from you uh, coming up next? Another comedy album? Or are you just going to chill for a bit? Yeah, I mean, there's more to ex you never know with me, man. You know, I've, I've written seven musicals in the last seven years. I'm board chair, Freedom Theater CEO, Freedom Theater Network. You know, there's there's more to come, of course. Not really ready to, to divulge much, but uh, we do have some Black History education things coming up that people should definitely keep an eye out for. Produced by Freedom Theater. Uh, Philadelphia, and uh, I'm excited about it. Awesome, man. Dice, thanks again so much, man, and enjoy your dinner and all the best, bro. Uh, thank you, D. Be safe, man. Take care. Peace.